Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Tyler Van Epps. He's the Director of Development and External Affairs at KIPP Minnesota. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, Grant. It's great to be on the show. I love it. So as is our tradition here, let's jump right into the thick of a moment in your development life where something dramatic or stressful or climactic happened. I'd love to hear the story of what that was and how it all ended up working out. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a couple fun ones. The one that comes to mind is probably the most nerve wracking, tense um, was we were, uh, I was helping manage uh, a nationwide rollout of a volunteer engagement platform. So we were partnered with a, a Fortune 500 company and we were doing um, 100 engagements at college campuses across the country and we we're fitting this all into two days. And we we're doing a variety of different kind of volunteer, speed volunteering activities and stuff like that. And so, and we were we were hardcore on the like logistics, distribution, all this kind of stuff because we were doing these little pop up um, food packing events to start to encourage uh, specifically youth at campuses and with the the communities that they were supporting and communities that they were volunteering in to inspire them just around a healthier way of life. And so, man, we had done so much work prepping all these pallets and shipments and and everything like that. And literally, like, I mean, we hit the button on it, you know, UPS came in, loaded, I can't even remember, we had like 125 pallets worth of materials and everything like that, loaded all this stuff up. And then at that point, we're like, I have no idea if this is going to get to the right place, to the right destination, if it's got the right setup. We had a little online training video for everyone that once they got it, um, it was all in their hands. And so we literally pressed the go button on that. And um we uh, we had them kind of staggered to go out depending on their ship points. And we started getting some weather reports like through the middle of the country. We started getting flood reports here, rain reports there and everything like that. And we're like, oh, my goodness, like the, the three, four day buffer that we put in for some of those ship points are all sudden at zero. And so, man, we were on high alert. Like we, our, our nonprofit turned into a call center and we were just taking all these calls in, checking up on all these shipments. I mean, I've never, I've never looked up so many, um, so many shipping or what are, I'm trying to remember what <laughs> those are called. The tracking codes. Man, I have never punched in so many tracking codes in my entire life. And I mean, we're, we're sweating a little bit because this is a, a, you know, a big investment, a big donation, a big project that we're running with this Fortune 500 company. And we're like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope this works. But yeah, we started getting it in. We only had a couple shipments that we had to, we had to reroute and, and pull some strings in other parts of the country to, to get them there on time. But man, it was when it all came, you know, when it all came down to it at the end, I mean, we had over 25,000 people engaged in doing some good in their communities and helping now wow. helping support healthier lives for, for kids across the country. So it was a it, it was it was nerve wracking for sure, though. 
unbelievable. That is such a cool and crazy experience, I'm sure, to have gone through. Um, I can't even imagine. And then I'd love to hear about your background. You have sort of an interesting background that you have both a lot of nonprofit experience, but also some experience in the business world. I'd love to hear about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Yeah. It, I mean, interesting is is a great word to describe it. I often use wild and eclectic as as some of the things. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been all over the place. I think through college and high school, I've always had kind of an entrepreneur, innovator spirit. And so I love to, love to start things. I love to jump into, into a whole bunch of things. I love to, you know, to use the, the phrase, fake it till I make it um, in a lot of different places. But uh, really started out in, in the education space uh, in Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, just such a, a passion area of mine is seeing young people empowered. Uh, and given opportunities to live choice-filled lives. Um, from there, uh, after my wife and I got married, we actually spent some time doing some humanitarian and social enterprise work. We were kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, Colorado Springs and Southeast Asia. Uh, came back back home to Minnesota, spent some time in the leadership consulting space, brand and marketing uh, strategy. Moved into the nonprofit uh, world pretty directly uh, about four and a half years ago. And now, now I'm back in education. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a wild and eclectic journey, but man, I've I've had so many incredible experiences, met so many amazing people, and uh, starting to really settle into my sweet spot again with education. So fascinating! And tell us more about that, about the education work that uh, Kip Minnesota is doing, and maybe if there's a story you could share that crystallizes the impact of the organization on students or parents or families, I'd love to hear a story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I when I first learned of KIPP here in the, the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, started looking into it a little bit. Also, just started to learn the work that KIPP had been doing around the nation. So almost a network of almost 250 schools across the nation serving over 100,000 students and really began 25 years ago, um, focused on how do we how do we build a model uh, uh, of education that just has a, a DNA of being built for communities that have been traditionally underserved and uh, and have had a lack of access to quality education. And so I think that's one of the things I loved about KIPP. It wasn't, hey, we built this model that worked at, you know, Yale or Harvard or worked in, you know, a suburban community or something like that. But it's really kind of started with the voice of the community and the needs of the community and the feedback of the community and said, hey, let's let's design an education system that works for you and helps you achieve the things you want to achieve. So that's that's been um, a huge passion area of mine. I think one of the stories that that comes to mind um, just this year, uh, we typically have about a quarter of our students. Minneapolis faces one of the highest student mobility rates in the nation. Um, about a quarter of our students are new to our school system, our K through eight school uh, system. Each year, uh, we brought a student in who. Uh, last year at his former school uh, was suspended 60 times over the course of a school year. And it's just, I mean, that's crazy. When, when you think about the actual number of days that wow. you have in a school year, to be suspended 60 times is, is insane. And I mean, when you look at that, I mean, that's, that's why so many of the students that we're supporting and, and working so hard to educate are often one, two, three years behind when it comes to some of the some of the proficiency things, but man, our staff has been so dedicated. Um, you know, over the last years, we've just been really working to to 
change how we do suspension policies, how we do discipline procedures and everything like that. Um, and I, you know, our, our team's been so committed to saying, you know, we're not just going to do what every other school is doing that when a student exhibits this behavior, we're just going to accelerate that towards suspension so that it doesn't disrupt anyone else. But we really, really commit to the whole needs of a, of a kid and a student in any position that they're in. And so, I mean, we're, we're, uh, um, a month into the school year and we just haven't, we haven't even had to suspend them yet. So it's a, it's an amazing, to wow. me, that's an amazing example of like, man, we're fighting for the best possible outcome for this student and for every student that we, um, that we support in our, our schools. That's really exciting and cool to see that it's already been, I mean, a month that I'm sure that that may be, you know, the first time that's happened in a while for that particular student. That is really, really cool to hear about. Is there a tactic or an approach or a strategy that you've found to be particularly helpful, specifically in your fundraising work that you could share with folks that maybe might be helpful for them as well? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've got to credit this one actually to Quentin Marty from Matter. Um, but something that I do in my, um, in my fundraising is that it's, it's small asks every single time. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it could be as small as, you know, can you pass this? But just to start to build a, a culture of asking and recognizing that that's not, I think so often um, fundraisers uh, and, and development professionals and just, you know, across, across a variety of different practice areas, a lot of times asking someone for something feels needy. It feels powerless. It feels like it, it feels wrong. But I think just the approach to actually asking someone is one of the best gifts that you can give to them. If you're asking something from someone, it's communicating that you are putting them in a, a, a place of you know being a subject matter expert or being valuable or having something to give and empowering them. And so I think that's that's been one of my philosophies is every single time ask for something, no matter how big or how small it is, because it's communicating to them that, that they've got an, an opportunity um, to make a difference. And so I think that's, that's one of the things. And I think especially when it comes to things that are really... Uh, kind of personal development related and doing this in a genuine way and not a fabricated way, but being able to say, man, I've seen you do this so well, or I've heard you communicate this thing that's so insightful. Like, you teach me, like, how do you do that? Or how do you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you have those conversations? How do you practice this, you know, this trait? Um, So that's something that I found particularly successful in just building genuine and authentic relationships. That's brilliant. I've had an enormous amount of similar, it sounds like to you, maybe I've learned so much from just asking people, how in the world are you doing that? It's so cool. I don't know how it works. Can you teach me? And yeah, yeah, and then that builds relationships. Absolutely. Oh, that word right there. I I, I think I need to use it that in that phrase exactly more often. Like, can you teach me this? I think it, I think it just, it, kind of fills people with pride that like, oh man, I've, I've got a gift here. I've got a talent here and I can share that with other people. So that's, that's cool. I like that terminology better. Can you teach me how you do that? I love it. No, that's so fun. And then you've sort of already started to hint at this, but I, I would guess, so you have new students, new parents, um, new alumni every year, which all, and maybe others as well are potential individuals that could be uh, become supporters of the organization and so forth. How do you go about sparking those relationships and introducing yourself and starting that off on the right foot? Yeah. Um, 
I think one of the things that that I've been really focused on in my work at Kip that I think's been really a, a re, um, you know revelation for a lot of us uh, within within the organization is that we're not distinguishing our message between parents, between students, between donors, and you know funding institutions or stuff like that. Like we we want to have that same message. Like our our message is our mission, and everyone's a part of that. And I think that absolutely always starts with listening and learning. Um, I think it comes with like acknowledging the specific voice and personality and giftedness that each individual brings to the table. So I, I think especially on the fundraising side of things, asking asking funders what they're great at and what they love has been such a, a um, such a door opening moment. For so many people, because I think it you can you can so easily fall into a rut or into, or into a pattern of asking the same questions. But I think when you ask ask someone what they're great at and what they love, I think you get you get such an amazing um, foundation for building really effective partnerships. And I think that same thing has been true with parents, families, community members, stuff like that. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Let's jump now into one of the particularly fun sections of our little discussion, which is the pro-con game, where we choose a topic and we have a mock debate about it. So the topic that we have chosen is a fun one. It is, should we care about overhead ratios? Should should nonprofits or should donors, should funders care about the percentage of money that is spent on overhead um, or fundraising versus the program? So Tyler, which side would you like to take? Pro, that yes, we should care. Con, that no, we shouldn't care. Um, I'm going to say that, wait, the con side is that we shouldn't care. Yes. Yeah. Con would be that we okay. shouldn't. I'm going to, I'm going to start on that side just cause I feel like that's a little <laughs> less common for most people right, right now, but I could, I could probably go either way on it. So I'm, I'm going cons and if I lose, I'm done, I'm hanging up and I'm leaving. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so I will go pro. Perfect. We'll see. We'll see who ends this bloodbath. Um, and <laughs> why don't you start so you can make an opening statement on why overhead ratios are not the most useful thing in the world. Yeah. Ultimately, I think a lot of times it, more than anything else, it handicaps innovation and doesn't allow nonprofits to take kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a voice of the customer approach to to the community or population that they're serving. So that's my my statement. I love it. Okay, I'll I'll try and make a counteracting opening statement. I will say that wouldn't you agree that it is a measure maybe not a perfect measure, but a measure of efficiency that can be compared across many organizations and give us, gives us at least a sense for this organization is more efficient than this organization in terms of more of my dollar going to, you know, the end cause that we're serving and like, shouldn't, shouldn't nonprofits just be able to operate on a shoestring administrative budget? (laughs) To, to an extent, I think it does provide a, a common metric, but I think the challenge with that is that never, you know, no organization is the same. Um, and that's where it presents a lot of challenges. And I think the, the other side of that is nobody runs around looking at for-profit companies or Fortune 500 companies and saying, why the heck are you investing <laughs> so much in leadership, you know? 
you make a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is great. And now we're sort of, we're devolving into like both seeing each other's points, but, or maybe just I am. I totally, I totally agree. I think it's deeply flawed as a way of looking at, because it's not an apples to apples comparison and it measures inputs when you really should be measuring outputs. And if it's, if it takes spending a lot on leadership to produce awesome outcomes for students, who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, it's just the outcome that matters. So uh, you win. Right. You win round yes. one. Um, <laughs> you got me for another uh, another 15 Yeah, minutes. that's good. Yeah, I was worried that you were going to hang up. So I was like, ah, I should probably lose. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Um, we'll jump into some rapid fire questions. How would you describe yourself if you could only use one word? Uh, I'll, I'll go back to a word I used earlier and I'll go eclectic. Nice. Okay. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I'm, um, you know, I've, I've spent my whole career trying to ask, you know, ask myself the question, what am I the best at that I can continue to leverage and invest in and dive in and focus on? And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm, you know, what I'm exceptional at. So I think I, I think I, I can wear a lot of hats. I can, you know, adapt to a lot of different roles. I've done everything from, you know, tactical operations stuff to more visionary strategic marketing type stuff, a lot of relationship development, whether it's you know, sales development, account management, things like that. So I think that's that's the eclectic thing is that you could I'd be just as comfortable in a, a brand discovery vision session as I am doing, you know, tactical logistics and operations stuff. Which is something most of us cannot say uh, for sure. I, I know I can't. I love that. Uh, what is an exciting shift that you're seeing taking place in the nonprofit world? Yeah, I think this this percent to overhead is is one of the exciting things. I'm I'm seeing a couple you know big internationally recognized foundations start to combat that narrative that every you know every dollar needs to be going towards programs and towards the you know the end result and impact. So I think that's one of the things I'm starting to see. The other thing that I'm starting to see specifically in the education space that I'm really excited about. um, So this shift has happened in the healthcare space that's talking about the social determinants of health, talking about continuum of care. And so it's taking this more robust picture of what the health needs are in communities across the world and across our nation. And so, you know, doctors now for the first time in, you know, a hundred years are saying, wow, you know, a majority of a patient's health happens outside the four walls of our hospital or clinic. And I think that same thing's happening in education as we start to talk about whole child support. You start to just substitute patient for student. Um, We've got more people starting to ask, how do we build support structures around students, around schools? How do we invest as much? outside of the school as we do inside of the school. Um, so I think that's something that's happening. I think it's happening across across the nonprofit industry as well. I think there's a becoming more of a uh, a user centric or I keep using, you know, voice of the customer type thing where it's it's a lot of learning, a lot of feedback, a lot of input um, from the communities that are benefiting from from the services. And I think I think that's amazing. I think too often you know, nonprofits have have erred on the side of kind of ivory tower solutions and then trying to drive them out um, with funding behind them. And I think really inviting inviting the individuals that are being supported by those services to have a voice in that, I think, has been a, an incredible shift. 
Really good insight. Are there people that have been particularly helpful to you in your growth journey in terms of development or nonprofit work that you kind of want to give a shout out to? I know you've you've given a shout out already to one person. Anyone else that has been particularly helpful to you um, in your evolution? Yeah, um, I think more recently, you know, Kip as a as a national network, uh, I got to go down to Houston um, earlier in August for for an annual summit and got to meet. You know, people in similar roles as mine all over the country. So, you know, people raising more money than I can dream of out in New York City and DC and and out in LA and stuff like that. But man, I, I think that's been a huge community for me. It's just Kip's national network of professionals that are doing this work all across the country. Um, some people locally, I you know, I got to give a shout out to Opportunity International, um, uh, ACCF, African conservation um and community or let's see i can't remember what it is but yeah if you you know brady forseth is a guy that i've admired a lot of time spent a lot of years um doing fundraising and now doing a lot of work in africa quentin marty with matter um you know i i got to work with with matter and with quentin for um almost four years and man the, the guy is one of the most humble leaders that i've met i mean he's hmm. he's He's kind of taught me most of the stuff that I know about uh, about fundraising specifically. So yeah, I mean, it's learn you learn something from from everybody. Uh, I I I get a lot of insight from the for profit world um, as well. Uh, I think it, uh, Jen Smith and um, Brooke Smith from Innovative Office Solutions here in the Twin Cities area just so focused on building culture as one of the main drivers of of success. And I think that's something that I've I've learned a lot from them. So. Yeah, I think the the list is longer than I have I have time to go through, but yeah, so many people that have influenced me. That's so cool to hear. Are there things that you appreciate now that you didn't appreciate as much a number of years back? You know, that's such a <laughs> such a good question. I think for for such a future oriented person, that's one of the one of the challenges. But um, and I would say that's actually probably my my answer too. Is I so much appreciate times of reflection, um, and I'm trying to be more more disciplined about that than I have at any point in my life. But trying to build build time daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly to really reflect and, and to specifically do that with relationships, I think is a huge thing. So even even now, as I was you know mentioning a lot of the people that have uh, have helped um, just coach me and inspire me and support me um, throughout my career in the in the nonprofit and for profit space, I'm even thinking I got to plug some time in in the next couple of weeks to to reflect on those people, send them some thank yous and some shout outs. So I think that's, that's one thing I appreciate now that I definitely didn't 10 years ago. It's just acknowledging the people that have helped support you um, hmm. and really coach you to the place you're at, at right now. Cool. Tyler, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, we're recording this late on a Friday afternoon when uh, most likely you shouldn't be working. So thank you again. Um, much appreciated. Where can folks find you online if they want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about KIPP Minnesota? Yeah, you can find more information about KIPP at kippminnesota.org. That's K-I-P-P minnesota.org. Um, I'm on all the social media channels. So LinkedIn's kind of my previous or my uh, preferred way to connect, but yeah, you can get me at, at Tyler Van Epps on both Twitter and Instagram, but yeah, man, connecting, connecting is my game. I love connecting with people. I love learning. 
uh, what they're great at and what they love and how we can put those things together to, to impact people and impact communities in a huge way. I love it. Thanks again, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time. 